The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hey, AI Today listeners. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. From books and materials ranging from fundamentals of AI to deep dives on implementing AI projects to AI ethics, tools, software, checklists, and more, our resources page will help you on your AI journey whether you're just starting out or you're well on your way. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. That's aitoday.live slash L-I-S-T. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And as you know, we are well into our glossary series of all the terms that you should really know and understand as you're pursuing your AI and big data projects a lot of uh, fundamental concepts, and it's a lot. We know there's a lot of podcast episodes we've been doing in, uh, in this series, but of course we have so many other ones. You know, maybe a little palate cleanser every once in a while. Listen to some of our great interviews that we have, where we really focus on some of the AI thought leaders, people who are really pushing the boundaries of not only what AI is today, but where it's heading tomorrow. It's kind of interesting if you've been listening to our podcast for years. You know, a couple of years ago, we were talking image recognition. We were talking patterns and anomaly. We were talking autonomous vehicles. Now it's all large language models. It seems like that's where we're all day, all day. But uh, that's because things keep happening and things keep changing. So if you aren't already subscribed to the AI Today podcast, we encourage you to do so and listen to all the things we talk about in terms of methodologies and and approaches and successes and even our failure series on AI, uh, which has been one of our most successful. So stay tuned for more of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we really do like to hear from our listeners, hear what you enjoy. Um, And we know that you like interviews as well. So that's why we always feel it's important to have them. And as Ron mentioned, we are in the middle of our glossary series, but we have this great interview with us today. So for today's podcast, we're so excited to have with us Dimitri Shapiro, who is the CEO of UAI, and that's at UYOUAI.ai. So welcome, Dimitri, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at UAI and maybe also explain what UAI is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these days I describe myself as an old nerd. Uh, I started writing code in 1984 when I was 14 years old. Um, Have a degree in electrical engineering, but I've never done a day of it. I've always done software. Uh, before UAI, uh, I spent four years at Google um, uh, on the main campus. I ran product on uh, a number of uh, social efforts that Google had, including three machine learning teams that were focused on using all of these, you know, all of the data that Google collects about people to be able to uh, better understand how to, you know, present content to them, how to um, uh, create lists of people they may know, people they may like, sort of connect people with each other, doing all the fun things that Google wanted to do in social. 
prior to that, I was the chief technology officer of MySpace Music. For those listeners that remember MySpace. Uh, prior to that, I uh, built two other venture-backed companies. Uh, one was called Vio Networks, which was a major competitor to YouTube. Uh, raised $70 million for that in venture capital. And before that, I built a cybersecurity company called Iconic Systems, raised $34 million for that. And from 95 to 99, I built the web team at Fujitsu, uh, to a large Japanese behemoth, and uh, built and ran the web team there. So uh, I'm I'm an old nerd. And I know you're working on UAI. So, so maybe for our listeners that are not familiar with UAI, tell us a little bit about what UAI is all about. And of course, maybe even the genesis, like where did this idea come from and what problem are you looking to solve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this idea actually uh, started in, in 2012, in the summer of 2012, when I joined Google and was asked to take over, again, their machine learning efforts uh, that were trying to calculate a bunch of um, ranked lists uh, for Google social efforts, Google Plus and, and other social efforts. And so I was put in charge of calculating a ranked list of people you may know, another ranked list of people you may like, and also to be able to influence the ranking on the Google Plus feed, like what posts go into the feed. And you'd think this would be pretty easy to do for Google to be able to present you with the list of people you may know. Uh, but they were having a really hard time doing it. And so there's, I think, 38, 36 or 38, you know, all PhD uh, uh, machine learning engineers that were struggling to uh, uh, to get these lists right. And, and after sort of, you know, beating my head against the wall for quite some time, I, I had a realization that while it's taken for granted that Google knows everything about us, um, that's actually sort of not accurate. Uh, Google has a tremendous amount of data, of raw data, about what we search for, what we watch, where we go, who's in our contact list, yada, yada, yada. Um, but all of that data is ambiguous could mean many different things, and it's not disambiguated. Uh, it's surprisingly, even though it seems like it's broad in its scope, it's actually surprisingly limited in its scope of what's actually there, like what we write in emails. We think we talk about everything that's sort of in our minds, but that's just not the case once you start thinking about it. When you start using it, it feels creepy. Uh, and when things feel creepy, regulators get involved. And so anyway, there's like a lot of problems with that. And so at that time, I, I had this realization of really kind of perhaps the right approach to be able to understand uh, what human beings want, what their beliefs are, their preferences, who they might want to connect with socially, like all of those things, to be able to give them better recommendations, that perhaps a better way to do it would be instead of sort of watching what they do, but sort of presenting them the opportunity to tell us what it is that that they want and, and who they are, meaning uh, explicit signal collection versus implicit signal collection. And so anyway, so it started uh, then in 2015, and actually I and my co-founder built a prototype uh, that we launched in an Apple App Store briefly, and then ended up taking it down and sort of just revisit it now, and uh, just launched our alpha last week. And so if anybody wants to go and play with alpha, you can at uai.ai. Uh, so that was sort of the genesis of this. Now, what is it? Um, so I'll describe it maybe once again by comparison to Google. So Google's mission is world famous. It's to organize all the world's information and to make it universally accessible and useful. 
And in order to do that, the first thing Google needs to do is get the information and digitize it. And once it does that, then it can build on top of that sort of applications to leverage that data. Like one example, of course, of that is, is maps. In order to be able to get geography and topography, you know, Google's built custom cameras and attached them to cars and flies planes and, and uses satellite imagery. And by doing all of that and collecting all of that data, it has data about, you know, what's in the world. And then on top of that data, we get Google Maps, for example, or Google Earth. And not only do we get Google Maps that sort of shows us a map, like we used to have sort of with paper maps before that. But it can do much more than that, right? It can do traffic rerouting. And it can tell us that business is going to be closed when we get there and like all of these other things. When we digitize things that weren't digitized before, we can do, then do amazing things with, it, with that data. We can create new applications. And so that's what we're doing and, and focusing our efforts on allowing humans to digitize our, our minds, our mental constructs, meaning if we all, we're all humans. If we all look internally and, and think about, you know, that uh, this thing we call our mind, not our brain, but our mind, is made up of all of these mental constructs, beliefs and preferences and biases, and some are deep-rooted and some are not at all and sort of can be changed by learning something new. Some are ephemeral, they're constantly changing. But it's data, uh, but it's data that's not digitized. But if we could digitize it, just like everything else, we can then do all kinds of amazing things with doing that. And that's what UAI is. It's a mind digitizer. You show up, you create a free account, and it feels sort of like TikTok. It's a never-ending feed of content. But instead of videos, uh, it, it shows you these things called prompts. Now, today, for those of us that have been playing with large language models, or other AI, consumer AI, we humans create the prompt and the model creates the response. This sort of turns it around where uh, the model creates the prompt and we give it a response. And by giving it a response with each one of these prompts, it teases out of our mind a signal, turns a biological signal into a digital signal and sort of uh, annotates that to our account. Uh, and uh, by the way, everything's private. Uh, all the data is encrypted. Obviously, privacy and security are paramount importance here. This is not for uh, people to see. This isn't like you're posting this to social media or things like that. Anyway, so you're digitizing your mind. Uh, and uh, and as you're doing that, uh, you know, the more you do it, the more the system understands you and the more value you get. Uh, and, and so on top of this data, we're going to stack what we call apps. Uh, the first app we have available today in Alpha is an app called Terminal. Uh, Terminal is ChatGPT via API behind the scenes, but we inject into it uh, context. So for every prompt you've engaged with, it sort of concatenates onto this content, content, uh, sorry, context injection um, uh, parameter, uh, and 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 makes ChatGPT. Uh, personalized for you. And so it's better than regular ChatGPT. In fact, you can try this for yourself. You can go to ChatGPT and, and say, what do you know about me? And it'll say, I know nothing about you. I'm a large language model. But if you want to tell me some things about you, I'll keep those in mind as I respond to you, you know, for then till the end of the session, because it doesn't have any long-term memory. 
Uh, what we do is we do that automatically for you on an ongoing basis. And so you instantly get better chat GPT via our terminal. Uh, the next step that's coming uh, probably next week uh, is, I'm actually not sure what we're going to call it yet. For now, it's called people. Uh, but it allows you to take your digital mental model and then uh, choose to, and obviously both of you have to consent, choose to compare it with another human, sort of to overlay your digital mental models on top of one another, and then instantly see the things that you have in common that sort of make sense. A lot of people have those things in common. The things that you have in common that are uncommon to have in common, those are like really, really interesting, uh, or the things that you don't have in common that, by the way, you may have thought you had in common. Uh, I submit to you know the listeners uh, that if you think about this, our closest friends and family members, uh, once in a while, we probably all have had these experiences where something comes up and we're like, how did I not know this about you? After like all of these years of friendship, or again, closest family members growing up together, how did, well, it just never came up. Well, now it does instantly. And that could be with a long-term friend or with a complete stranger that you meet on a park bench. And if you choose to compare mental models, you can instantly see these things about them and sort of create much deeper human relationships, the understanding of another human that's never existed before. We think this is profound. Um, another example that's coming after that is the ability to do that in groups, like in teams. Teams are constantly trying to get aligned. Uh, and you have to say a lot of words and have a lot of meetings to figure out if you're aligned or not and clarify alignment here because each one of us is self-enumerating our our knowledge about a subject matter. In this case, for example, a project, you could have a bunch of prompts about a project or mission or vision or whatever it is. Uh, it can very quickly say, hey, you guys are misaligned. You might be saying the same words, but you're saying them from different angles. Anyway, there's countless applications that can be built on top of this type of data. Because once you digitize things, you can do amazing things with them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you were talking, we were like, oh, what could this be? You know, I know Ron and I were both thinking about different applications. But maybe for our listeners and for us as well, can you walk through this idea of digitizing the mind a bit, share how it works and maybe the scope of what's being digitized and perhaps some of the most remarkable apps that you're thinking about for the longer term? I know you just touched upon a few, but maybe, you know, what's the grand plan? Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's let's start with like what does it mean to to digitize a mind, right? Uh, there's a company out there, for example, called Neuralink, which is an Elon Musk company, right? That's got an implant, and they're sort of trying to figure out how to use you know brain waves to be able to sort of differentiate and understand humans. This is not that. There are no implants required or anything of the sort. And again, this isn't dealing with the brain, it's dealing with the mind. It's dealing with mental constructs, beliefs, biases, preferences, various types of mental constructs that we have. They are available to us, meaning we ourselves, if given a question by someone, can answer that question. And this sort of takes the same kind of approach of like, in a sense, it's it's interviewing you by giving you a never-ending set of these prompts. Some of these prompts are like simple multiple choice questions, or this or that, or a big grid of images that says pick all things that look yummy. Like, for example, how would you describe to ChatGPT in words on your mobile phone 
what you mean when you say, I want something yummy. <laughs> right. You might say, I like Chinese food and Thai food, or I like this dish, but that's about it. But if I can give you a bunch of high-density grids of images of food, and you choose a bunch, I can very quickly build a vector for you that differentiates you from somebody else. And these things don't actually even have to be sort of labeled and understood. They are just data points in vector space. And by collecting a lot of these, uh, we start to have, you know, uh, a lot of vector embeddings that differentiate one human from another human and can show you humans that are similar to each other on all of these various dimensions. And because these prompts can be of many different types, again, I told you like multiple choice or image or really anything you can do in an app. Um, so it can be count, including sort of connection to biometric devices and things like that. We can tease a lot of different types of things out of human minds. Now, some people that I've told about this have said, well, what if the human is sort of like lying, meaning not lying to the system because there's no point to lie to the system, but what if they think they're this way, but they're really not that way? And I think that's also a really important question. I mean, a lot of our friends and family periodically tend to know us better than we know ourselves, right? Uh, and so one of the things that UAI needs to do, it's not doing it yet, but it will, is to sort of approach that questioning, that prompting from many different angles to be able to truly disambiguate how you feel about something, how you think about something, what your preferences are. Another way of looking at it is if, if large language models are statistical machines that try to predict the next token, the next word in a sentence, and if the TikTok feed, which is you know known for its algorithm, tries to predict what might be the next video to show you that you might like, what UAI is trying to do is predict, given this prompt, what would your response be? And that's what it's always optimizing for, is to try to be able to predict, given this prompt, about anything. Again, these prompts can be about everything imaginable because they are, you know, human language and images and things that humans can understand. So they can be about your music taste, or they could be about your political beliefs, or they could be testing your knowledge and finding knowledge gaps, or testing your mathematical skills, or testing your motor skills, or testing your ability to see colors, if you're colorblind or not. Like all of these things are possible to be able to tease out of a human mind and digitize. That's really and interesting. Yeah, I, I think that the interesting and cool thing about large language models, I think that caught a lot of people off guard, unless you're a researcher in this space and maybe you kind of knew this all along, was just, I guess, the power and potency of them. Because a lot of people thought like, well, you know, the way they were going to get to something like AGI or some major intelligence is not through language models, it'll be through something else, like through some sort of, you know, reinforcement, something, right? Some Some sort of model. Uh, but of course, it's interesting. And people, you know, a lot of people have have rightfully said, well, oh, ChatGPT is just a really intelligent uh, parrot because it just can predict, it's just trying to predict the next thing. It doesn't actually know what's happening. But that being said, it's kind of an interesting idea because way back in the 1950s when Alan Turing was, you know, not only inventing the concepts of the first programmable machine with the Turing machine, but also artificial intelligence in the Turing test. What was the Turing test? 
It was a conversation, which is really very interesting because like, well, that was a test of intelligent machine. If it could have a conversation that was intelligent, like, well, here we are kind of full circle. So of course, a lot of people are talking about large language models. It's, it's the cornerstone in many ways of, of what you're talking about here, these ongoing intelligent conversations. So can you tell us to what extent, you know, kind of where does uh, large language models and chat GPT fit in? How are you adding to that value? Kind of how does this whole picture sort of develop? I don't know if there's intellectual property issues there, but like, you know, may, maybe talk a little bit about sort of the sort of the cornerstone of, of, of the technology around LLM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, so uh, LLMs are uh, obviously have sort of caught human beings attention and, and, and our imagination and it, extremely well-deserved. Uh, it's amazing uh, what sort of calculating probability of the next word can do. And, and a lot of unexpected behavior has sort of emerged from that, that even, you know, the researchers that have been building these things for years are, are surprised by. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting work to, uh, you know, continues to happen with LLMs. And I think they've got a bright future and all kinds of things. Uh, we believe they are simply a part of the puzzle, um, and and uh, there's sort of a lot more to it uh, than that. Um, for example, today, uh, let's assume that the LLMs get better and better and better and know everything. Let's sort of project onto them that they know everything. They're like a genie that just knows everything about everything, and we can ask it any question we want to ask it, and they can give us the response to that question, right? Uh, but the problem is we are given a, an interface to them that is a text box, and, and we have to type things in, and especially like on mobile phones. Uh, now, I think human beings have a really hard time, most human beings, using words to be able to nuance, nuance and disambiguate and, and, and ask questions, right? People struggle with that. Uh, and, and so I believe that the bottleneck to all of this incredible technology is the interface between the human and the technology. LLMs are just one technology that there's a bottleneck to. There are many other generative AI models and many other things that have nothing to do with AI necessarily, but let's say the digital world that's available, like Google. You know, you type a prompt into Google, a, a search query, and you get back 41 million results. On one hand, that's amazing. On the other hand, that's a fail, because that's not what you need. You don't need 41 million results. Um, and so we are we are focused on how do we make it easier and 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 sort of more powerful for human beings to be able to leverage all of this innovation that's happening in the digital world. Um, there's a you know American saying, a, a picture says a thousand words. That's sort of a signal to that. The picture does say a thousand words. You're not going to type that into a prompt. Right. And so you could say, well, you could prompt the LLM with a picture. And you can do that now, right? Uh, and that's what we're basically trying to do is to say, perhaps the right way to engage with LLMs or any other AI, instead of typing words, we simply digitize ourselves on an ongoing basis. This is not something you do once and stop. If you do this, this is sort of something you do from now on, and you sort of maintain the most current and up-to-date digital model of your mind, what's in your mind, and then you're able to present that digital model to any AI as a data set and say, this is me. 
And then that model can look at that and say, aha, now I see. I see what your strengths are. I see what your weaknesses are. I'm going to augment those weaknesses. I'm going to amplify your strengths. I see what your gaps of knowledge are. I'm going to help you learn better there. I see what your desires are. And now that I see that, I know stuff about the world. I've got all kinds of amazing stuff for you. I've got content. I've got products. I've got help. And so so to turn things around, instead of us asking the AI to do things in words, we simply say to it, let us tell you about ourselves. And you tell me, like, I don't know what I don't know. I, I would argue that's the biggest human condition. If I ever met a genie that said, you can ask me one question, the question I would ask the genie is, what question should I ask you? And that's what we are doing with UAI, is allowing humans to create that that you know digital that data set, so then the world can be personalized for them. Another example I'll give you is this. So uh, I have five kids: uh, nine years old, seven years old, five, and then twins that are a year old. So uh, and they love Disneyland, and so periodically my wife's like, "Let's go to Disneyland." I'm like, okay, let's go to Disneyland. To plan a trip to Disneyland is actually a tremendous amount of work. In today's world, the way I would do it is I'd probably go to ChatGPT and I'd say, hey, help me sort of ideate a bunch of fun things we could do with sort of this diverse family. And it might give me a bunch of things. I would then need to go to Google and make sure those things aren't hallucinations, that they exist, figure out how to book them, do a bunch of price comparison shopping, do a bunch of calendaring and coordination with my wife and my kids' schools and all of that, do a bunch of messaging and communication. That's a lot of work. And sometimes I just say, well, let's just go to the beach. Like it's just down the street here. Let's just go to the beach. Uh, not because I don't want to go to Disneyland, but because I, I, I don't have the time to be able to do that. But people who are you know much wealthier than I am uh, have personal assistants, chiefs of staff, concierges, and they can simply say, hey, whatever, Bob, I'd like to take the family to Disneyland. And then Bob can go off because Bob understands me and my family. And, and can go off and sort of make countless assumptions and do all of that work and come back and say, look, there's three good options. Here are the pros and cons for each. And my wife and I can talk about it and say, option B looks great, Bob. And then Bob says, I got you. And we're done. And so the delta between those two scenarios is radical. Uh, and we now have the capability to give that kind of uh, uh, opportunity to everyone. Because the technology, because of generative AI and because of all of these web services being available, the technology exists for chat GPT or like you may have seen like auto chat GPT and projects like that. Uh, it knows, it can enumerate a list of things that it needs to do in order to book a trip to Disneyland. It can connect to all these services, do all that research, synthesize everything and do all of that. The last thing that's missing to make it that amazing personal assistant is the knowledge of me. And so I need some way to be able to give it that knowledge. There's a video I saw a while back where Sam Altman uh, was being interviewed and he said, really what I believe is, you know, and he said, this will come later, is you should be able to just give ChatGPT a couple of pages of bullet points about yourself and, and it'll do better. Well, I submit that a couple of pages of bullet points is not what that thing needs. What it needs is a well-formatted data set. Uh, and, and then 
watch out. <laughs> then we have real personal assistance for everyone who can do things. And again, can be proactive. They can find things for me before I know to ask for them. Because I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what exists that I might like. I'm the bottleneck. But if it knows who I am, it can use all of its power to say, there's a bunch of things you're missing, you know? Yeah. I mean, we really like this idea. So if our, for our listeners that have listened to us for a while, they know that uh, we talk a lot about the seven patterns of AI, because when people are talking about AI, you know, it's this very large kind of umbrella term about what everything is. And so one of the patterns, so we break it down further so that you can help kind of understand its applications. And one of the patterns is hyper-personalization, which is really treating each individual as an individual. So I'm no longer bucketing you into groups and categories. So obviously the first thing that comes to mind is um, recommendation systems, but you can also hyper-personalize healthcare, hyper-personalize finances. I mean, this is hyper-personalization at its finest, right? Where I'm able to converse with, uh, you know, this system and it's able to give me personalized recommendations. So it knows maybe I you know, for health reasons, can't walk for more than an hour or for uh, different things. I can't, uh, you know, I can't be out in the sun for too long or else I'm going to get a sunburn or I can't fly for longer than four hours. I mean, whatever my my things are, right? So we also talk about this idea of hyper-personalized education. And so you had brought that up as well. Lots of positive benefits and positive applications. I know we definitely also need to talk about ethics kind of behind this as well. But before we get to that question, you know, you had talked also earlier about with Google and your background there, how it's a lot harder to do some of these things and people realize the idea is always there, right? And it's like, the idea sounds so simple. Why is the execution so hard? And it's like, yeah, because the devil's in the details, right? Mm -hmm. So with, you know, why can't like Google's, Microsoft, those mafangs, use the data that they already have, because we know that they have vast amounts of data. Why can't they do that to for digitizing someone's mind. Maybe talk about some of the challenges there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and again, I had uh, obviously deep access to um, all of this data that Google collects, not on an individual basis, not like I could look at people's data and see what they did, but on an aggregate basis uh, and, and sort of at, at the data level. Um, this thing that people point to where they say that because I'm using all of these digital services, all of my information is out there. And so because I use a lot of Microsoft services, it, it can understand me, or because I use a bunch of Google services that Google knows everything about me. Uh, that That's not accurate. Um, what we do that Google can see, meaning Google can only see things that we do. Google can't peek inside of our minds. Google cannot see what we're thinking or how we're making decisions or all, any of that. All Google can see are things that we're doing. Let's say we're sending messages to somebody or we're calling someone or we're in the same location or we search for something or we watch a YouTube video, like all of these services that we use, Google can see that. But I submit to you that that all of that is a tiny, tiny sliver of the things that go on in our minds and how we actually think and make decisions. And they are, while they are, there are some signals there that could be seen and, and detected, 
uh, they're extraordinarily limited as compared to what's going on in our mind. And so it's the data simply isn't there. That's a, that's problem number one. The second problem is all of the data is ambiguous. Anything we've ever done or searched for or watched can be can mean something radically different. For example, let's say I search for appendicitis. Does that mean I'm studying to be a physician? I want to be a physician. I saw this word in a book. I'm not sure what it means. Or I have a tummy ache. That's a silly example, but it's an example like everything is ambiguous and everything needs to be disambiguated. If you're to use it for anything more than sort of ad targeting, which can be wrong often, or YouTube video recommendations, which can be wrong often, as long as they're right a little bit, that's better than no recommendations. But to use it, for example, for personal assistant, like Google Assistant is over a decade old, and it's shocking of the, what can it do? Set a timer, play the song, you know, a few things. That's why it's because of this. It's because Google, Microsoft, nor anybody else, nobody has this data that is in our minds. In order to get to that data, we humans must engage in some kind of an activity that teases that data out and then disambiguates it, asks us a bunch of follow-up questions or, or looks at it from different angles to make sure that that's what we mean and monitors that over time. And so that's uh, like a really important thing to be able to, to have data that's truly useful and, and sort of actionable to be able to build the next generation of personal assistants, or again, in order to proactively be able to help you uh, live a better life. Um, you mentioned e-learning. I think that's actually potentially sort of the most fundamental part of all of this. Uh, I'll come back to that thing I said before. It's like, we don't know what we don't know. And most of us don't sort of quite know what our weaknesses are. We have a hard time detecting them. Uh, and therefore, we sort of walk around the world not in the optimal state in which we could be. But by engaging in this type of activity, UAI will be able to figure that out, sort of figure out where there are holes in your mental models or where there are beliefs that are conflicting and therefore you seem to be sort of thrashing because you want both of these things, but you can't have both of these things, like duh. And it can then, once it understands that, it can just start filling those things in for you proactively. I think of our minds as, in a sense, like a mega-dimensional jigsaw puzzle, and there are pieces missing, and each one of us has different pieces missing of different shapes. Well, by digitizing our mind, UAI can figure out what those shapes are, and then because it has access to generative AI, it can create custom learnings for each of us. Yes. This, by the way, will radically disrupt what we call the creator economy today where you've got these human creators that are creating content for whom? For personas. But there are no personas. Each one of us is different and we're always changing. And so if we're successful, there's gonna be one content creator and that's your AI. Your AI will be able to know what content you need, have access to all kinds of information, be able to take it, generate it for it and present it to you. And so it radically sort of transforms the way we engage with all of information technology. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this is really interesting because 
one of the you might think that well one of the most powerful uses of AI is like automation or autonomous systems or better recommendation systems. But it actually turns out that learning is one of the most powerful things because when you when you learn how to do something, well, of course, you might think, well, K through 12 education. Okay, that's important too, because everybody should be maximized to their to their personal ability. But you're constantly learning things, like whether you're learning how to place an instrument or do something. And people just like like the the cause of people's problem is that they don't know how to do something. Whether it's like I don't know how to write an article, I don't know how to create a graphic, I don't know how to do a podcast, whatever it is, right? And so people end up uh, doing the suboptimal. And like I could think of many people who work for many large companies who spend all day doing that kind of stuff, right? So that, mm-hmm. that that's a very large percentage of our of our activity right now. And I think I think the interesting part of all this is that we're talking about learning, which is meta because we're talking about artificial intelligence, which is machine learning. So as we start to figure out how to get machines to learn better, we're actually starting to figure out how to make ourselves learn better. And I think that's really this really interesting cornerstone mm-hmm. here. And, and you know, I think when we've realized that we're like, oh, this there's um there's a universe of possibility. I know you're gonna expand. I have a follow-up question, but I, I don't know if you want to expand upon that. I mean, that's just yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. Uh, so what has changed in machine learning over whatever the last decade? Um, well, our ability to do sort of unsupervised learning, our ability to take data that's not sort of well cleaned and labeled and sort of have these modern neural networks that can take this dirty data and and tease out of it structure, right? Uh, These features, Uh, that's amazing. That's an incredible set of innovations, lots of things. There's compute, there's transformers, there's lots of things that cause that. Uh, And so all of these AIs that we're fascinated by, that's what they are, they're neural networks. They take as input a data set a lot of data. And then what they're good at is taking that data and making sense out of it. Taking a big mess of data and making statistical sense out of it. That's what they do. And so we're doing the same thing here saying, let's pull all of this mess out of our minds. We don't understand our minds. There's like moving things that are making us do things. Sometimes they're good for us. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we feel in control. Sometimes we don't, but it doesn't matter. Here, if you just tease it out, this messy data set, you can then present it to the AI, which is what it wants, a data set, not a prompt. It doesn't want a text prompt. It wants a bunch of data. That's what neural networks seek. And you can give it that data set. And then it can say, "Uh aha, I can tease this out. And now I can figure that out about you. And by the way, when you give it uh, data sets of many humans, sort of the data set of humanity, what you can do is you can take all of these existing, for example, LLMs and, and up-level them, fine-tune them, transfer train them to be able to take them and make them human-centric by understanding the constructs of, of human thought and how we make decisions. Because all of these models have been trained on what? They've been trained on the output of humans. They've been trained on the output of these mental constructs. And so they know that part. What we can now add to them is the other part of the equation, is what are the data structures in a sense in our minds that create those things? And you put those things together, and listen, I think if there's anything that sort of gets us closer to AGI, 
I submit that this is one of the biggest missing pieces is the ability to be able to understand what's creating that thing that I've been training on. And so, yeah, we think, uh, we think these are related. Yeah, Machine great. learning and human learning are, are together. Yeah, definitely. Well, one, of course, it, it, it's harder and to have a conversation these days about AI and especially data, anything that's data related without talking about some of the concerns people have, because they're, they're legitimate that, you know, people are worried about, you know, the aggregation of data, data issues around data privacy, of course, data bias. To what extent am I, you know, in an echo chamber, perhaps reinforcing some perhaps not positive things, you know, or it's like, well, maybe, yes, I, this is a model of me, it just has in my mind, but maybe there's a, not to say a faulty part of my mind, but there's a, maybe there's a part of me that if I were to look back at myself five years ago, I might say, I'm not that person anymore. And maybe that wasn't the best part of me. And maybe I'm a better person now, or maybe I'm going in the wrong direction now. So, so maybe you can you talk about these issues of, of data bias, data privacy, you know, uh, any of these uh, ethical and responsible related uh, AI issues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, uh, there are obviously many dimensions here uh, that, that are interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to the uh, sort of privacy and security and, and things of that. And maybe we start with this um, reinforcing biases and echo chambery things that we've all experienced now with primarily social media, because social media is tuned, you know, those algorithms are tuned for engagement. And so they want to keep you engaged. And so they'll give you more of the same, even if it's junk food, you get more of it because you want more of it. And therefore we get into these problems. Uh, UAI is not tuned for uh, making you feel good uh, in, you know, and to entertain you. That is not its purpose. Its purpose is to understand you and disambiguate you and then provide value to you because of that. And so, uh, as we, and again, we're just in alpha now, so we're in the very early days of this. But as we move forward, one of the big uh, sort of dimensions of effort is going to be in uh, making sure that we are constantly questioning what you think is your reality to make sure that one, it truly is, and two, that that's what you want it to be and, and helping you grow and expand and learn, right? And we all get better by realizing things about ourselves or the world, by changing our minds because we've now learned something new that now challenges some old beliefs we had that weren't serving us well. So it's optimizing for your well-being and happiness of sort of reality versus, you know, more echo chambery things. Uh, so that's just a, an effort that's going to sort of keep going. Um, on the privacy side, uh, Certainly, we are aware uh, that we are proposing something here that's quite provocative to people, which is we're saying to people, voluntarily, we are inviting you to give us all of your deepest, darkest secrets and allow us to disambiguate that. We want to probe on every dimension of your life and, and your, you know, your, your mental models. And the more you can engage and trust the system and and you know, sort of present the honest version of you, sort of like a mirror uh, that, that can that can get the, the the most accurate picture of you, the more value you will get. Um, on one hand, that sounds crazy that you would ever do that 
with any service uh, to let people in like that, not people, but machines in. For example, uh, no people can ever see that data that you put in unless you're comparing it with other people and then you're voluntarily sort of allowing them to see it. Uh, none of UAI employees have access to that data, nor will they ever have access to that data. So it's all, um, you know, not available to people. Um, but still, like, I think it's fair for people to be concerned about engaging in such a, an activity. But at the same time, I remember, you know, early days of the web where people were like, we well, should never use your real name on the web and you should never use your credit card on the web. And certainly you should never post like pictures of yourself and your kids and what you ate, ate for lunch and your political beliefs and like all of those things. And, and so we see that uh, while you should never do those things theoretically, by doing those things, you get a tremendous amount of value. And I believe that we are at a point in time now as a society of many digital natives that we are ready to sort of take that leap of faith and trust that the value we get is radically greater than sort of potential vulnerability of, of uh, uh, something bad happening. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying some of these things, we were laughing because it's like, you know, yes, maybe at the beginning, oh, never use your real name, never share pictures of yourself. It's like, never use a credit card. Yet every day, that's what we're doing all day on the internet. So as, you know, things, as technology evolves, especially emerging technology, you need to see how it's used, start to have to get more comfortable with it. And then you have this kind of privacy convenience trade-off. And we talk about this a lot where, yes, maybe I don't really want want to give my credit card information on the internet, but to not do that, it's so hard. I have to call up. I have to talk to someone, wait, you know, that it's just um, hard, right? And I'm like, well, I don't have 30 minutes. So it's that trade-off, right? Well, my privacy versus convenience. Um, and so this has been such an incredible podcast. We've brought up many incredible topics. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this as much as we have. We always end our podcasts with a final question, and I'm really interested to hear your answer on this. We get a different answer from every single guest. That's why we love this question so much. What do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? That's a, a, a broad question. Um, machine learning, uh, the ability for uh, software uh, to be able to take the things we do as humans, uh, no matter what industry we're in, no matter what job function we're doing, uh, we can use machine learning to be able to understand what is happening there, and then to be able to uh, do a number of things. One is to augment human activity and, and to help humans do the things they do better, faster, you know, easier. Uh, two is to uh, take some things that used to be done by humans and now no longer need to be done by humans and sort of do automation. Uh, three, be able to take a lot of data uh, and be able to find patterns that humans have never detected there, nor would they be able to detect them 
there because uh, you need to crunch too much data and be able to sort of process all of them. So to be able to find insights that uh, uh, I'm certain will transform uh, industries, uh, make some industries irrelevant because some insight was found in another industry that now sort of disrupted uh, this one. Um, I think this fascination with humans prompting large language models and that that's the that's the uh, the new innovation, that's the way things are going to work. I'm certain that's not the case. Uh, I'm certain we're not going to be typing words into our phones to try to ask questions of the all-knowing AIs. Um, I think most uh, AI is, I mean, it's, it's going to be all around us. Kind of is already all around us, like everything Google does and Amazon does and Uber does, all of this is AI, right? Machine learned things. Um, uh, and, and so you'll get a lot of sort of proactive uh, benefits uh, that, you know, we, we all will that, that come to us that can then be attributed to the innovations in, in uh, machine learning primarily. You know, kind of, I think this term artificial intelligence is, is a bit ambiguous uh but but things that can be done with large data sets and, and and machine learning we can do amazing things with yeah that's really fantastic you know, this is this has been a fantastic interview for our AI today podcasters if you've been stick with us for a while you know that we've interviewed ben gertzel we've interviewed colin angle front of irobot ben gertzel was the sophia bot and also singularity net and all these things we've interviewed Actually, this this podcast interview here, I, I think, honestly, ranks long. We should listen to this podcast along with this podcast because it helps gives you a glimpse into, I think, really where a lot of this industry is heading. And it's kind of remarkable, actually, if you think about kind of where we were a couple of years ago when we were talking about computer vision systems that can count pills, you know, ran, running through, a, a you know, a factory line or, you know, uh, the, the challenge of like, you know, uh, ImageNet, <laughs> their labeling problems. Problems with and like kind of where we are right now, where we're talking about actually digitizing people's mental models and their constructs so that we can do uh, better everything from learning to applications is really quite remarkable, honestly. That that we're kind of in this place, and I and I think. Um, you know, I, I would like to continue this conversation, and I encourage our listeners. Uh, I know I am int very much interested in checking out the alpha. And we'll, we will provide a link to uh, UAI. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, how people can get access to it, what people can do. Maybe this might be a good place to do that right now. Maybe just share, like, for people who are listening who are saying, this is really interesting. Uh, for me, I like the idea and I want to play with it. It may not be for everybody, but I think for a lot of our listeners, they might find it uh, very intriguing. You know, what, what can people do if they want to start accessing this uh, today? Yeah, so, uh, so th this is alpha. So it's not ready for prime time. If you want to play with something early uh, and, and give us feedback uh, and, and sort of start thinking about these new ideas, like what could happen if, if you know, the better we get at digitizing our mind, you can do that now. Uh, we've got uh, right now just over 1,200 people uh, that are in the alpha. Uh, and uh, you can just go to youai.ai and create an account. All we need is an email and a password. Um, and then start engaging with the feed, uh, play around with terminal. That's that context injected chat GPT feed. Um, uh, next week, we will be releasing the people matching thing. So play around with that. We have a, a 
pretty active Discord. Uh, there's a link there to join the Discord uh, and, and again, meet some people. There are lots of interesting questions that are being asked uh, and like a really diverse, interesting group of folks uh, that, that are in that Discord that you can meet. They're you know, venture capitalists and technologists and, and, and therapists, uh, you know, sort of lots of people sort of interested uh, in this from the standpoint of like, oh, wow, this is going to transform therapy and self-help and all of that. It will. And so there's like a, a lot of very diverse uh, conversation and, and question answering that's happening. Yeah. So UAI.ai. Perfect. Yeah, definitely check it out if you're interested. And, you know, you do mention it is alpha. So I think it only is going to approve, improve. And I know that you're definitely looking for feedback. So hopefully some of our listeners will do just that. But we wanted to thank you so much, Dimitri, for being on the AI Today podcast and sharing your insights with our audience. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, as we mentioned at the beginning, if you have not already subscribed to AI Today, please make sure to do so to get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. We have a few great interviews uh, lined up in addition to this one and also our glossary series, which will go over terms and, uh, you know, a way that will help you understand them if maybe you've been confused in the past. Also, make sure to rate us. We love hearing from our listeners and we love when you rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll link anything that we discussed in the show notes today um, so that you can just click on that link and it'll take you right there. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.